You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's basically saying painting with a brush is too easy. And for the rest of us, it's not. And I kind of like feel like it's just rubbing our noses in it, you know? <laughs> like well, you know, like we all get it. You're better than us. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like who Art Ed? Who Art Ed? Mr. Wood, Art Ed, me. Either way, it, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. I thought you could start. Thank you for joining me. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Pleasantries aside. Uh, let's see. Should I do more of an intro for you? Today, I am joined by Chuck Hoff, the art teacher at Mill Street, who was actually my mentor first year in the district. Oh, well, that's because I'm old. <laughs> but you really did help me out, so thank you very much, and I appreciate that you're still helping me 10 years later. So today, we're going to be talking about Chuck Close, who I know you're quite the big fan of. We'll be talking about him in three segments. First, in situ, where we'll talk about the context in which his work is created. Second, we'll be in gallery, where we'll look more closely at one piece. And third, we'll be in studio, where we'll just share our takeaways. Now for our in situ segment. It just gives us the context. It's about the artist and where this came from. Where this all came from. Just for clarity, in this episode, we talk about Chuck Close's physical limitations and refer to him being paralyzed. And it is worth knowing he is not completely paralyzed. Chuck Close suffered from a spinal artery collapse in 1988, which did leave him partially paralyzed. And with physical therapy, he was able to regain some movement in his arms and he could walk slightly, but just a few steps. He has relied on a wheelchair ever since then and he continues to paint today using a sort of specialized wrist splint to help support the brush in his hand. Chuck Close, context. He was born July 1940. Uh, he kind of rose to prominence like 60s, I would say. Um, and what I found interesting is, you know, it's said that he um, sort of fell in love with abstract expressionism when he was about 14, looking at the work of Jackson Pollock. And he went to Yale. He was like, you know, big in that Abex scene. Because like, what I always think of Yale as... The, a lot of Abex painters came out of there. Yeah, yeah, you for know. sure. And when and it, you know, now you're getting me thinking about. You grow up thinking about abstract, and you grow up the the freedom of it, and you end up, uh, you know, a complete structured artist. Well, I find it interesting also just thinking about like, 
you know, he's photorealistic, which is in so many ways sort of antithetical to abstract expressionism. That was so much about the individual artist and his or her mark making and the expression of their their sort of inner innermost feelings laid out on the canvas. And it's it's very sort of raw and expository or exposing them and their feelings. Then I think of like Later, the second half of the 20th century, I think of a lot of pop art and commercial imagery and repetition and mass media, as well as op art, which focused on optics and the way we perceive things and the way that an artist could sort of play with and illusions on the canvas. And what I see in a lot of Chuck Close's work is he sort of melds those three influences in a lot of ways. He's using a photographic reference and often Polaroids, which have that sort of iconic pop culture resonance to them. And these very close cropped faces that seem very candid. There was some evolution there, but uh, yeah, I find that pretty interesting. He was, if, if I recall correctly, experimenting a lot with different materials. I think I've seen like he used a razor. He used like an eraser at the end of a drill and stuff like that. Like everything but a brush to apply the paint. Which I couldn't help but think that he was getting, you know, that influence from his original. Yeah. Uh, you I mean, know, from Jackson. So you're looking at Jackson and he's just, you know, freedom. And, and if any of you have seen the movie. Yeah, like a turkey baster, uh, yeah, a spoon, you got a it. stick, you got yeah, it. Like so throwing he was, yeah, bits of, yeah. of sand and so stuff So even like though that. he provided his own structure, he still wanted that sense of freedom and creativity um, and probably loosened himself up to that anxiety of thinking, oh my goodness, I'm about to start a 100-hour drawing or, or painting, yeah. right? Yeah, at, at the same... Yeah, yeah. I, I got to say, though, like, as a painter... How do you feel about seeing like a photorealist painter like Chuck Close was using all the tools basically to make it harder for himself? On the one hand, I kind of get it, like setting limits. And I think he talked about how setting limits and setting restrictions for yourselves forces you to be more creative right. and forces you to, to explore different avenues. And some of it, I think, was actually innovative. Like, I believe I read that his airbrush techniques and stuff led to developments of inkjet printers. But at the same time, I kind of look at it and I'm just like, he's basically saying painting with a brush is too easy. And for the rest of us, it's not. And I kind of like feel like it's just rubbing our noses in it, you know? <laughs> like, well, you know, like we all get it. You're better than us. Yeah, for sure. But then I also think about the application piece, right? Yeah. Going somewhere you've never been before. And so when we're super, you know, explicit about how we're painting with the paintbrush and being mindful that, you know, some of our kindergarten and first graders, um, they don't have that kind of control. Yeah. This artist reminds us that you don't need that kind of control to um, realize that you're just trying to go somewhere. Like, you're, you're trying to get to an end destination. Why not get there three different ways? Why not use something um, that's much larger? Another thing, again, just as a little bit of a tangent, yeah. think about Instagram. I follow so many of the different tr uh, treads, right, and some of the sites. And I'm looking, and so many of it, tails back to hyperrealism. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking, there he is again. He pops up in these different places. And some of that hyperrealism uh, becomes uh, almost 
almost magic when you see what tool they're using, what medium they're using. Yeah. Sometimes it's in sand. Sometimes it's someone's window that's been fogged up. Yeah. And I'm thinking, gosh, this is Chuck Close all over again. It is in a lot of ways. I mean, we're, you know, we're all learning from the people who came before us sure. and building off of. But I just, I don't know. To me, it's, it's like it, it almost has that aspect of like just showing off. You know what I mean? It's like it's like my friend who would play the guitar mm-hmm. behind his back and he'd still sound 10 times better than I ever could. You know, it's just like we get it. You know, well, you're good. But getting back to his background and his sure. biography, I almost feel like if this were a fictional narrative, you would look at this sort of poetic justice of what he called the event as just like it's almost like a little over over the top because he went from being so polished and accomplished with anything you put in his hands to in 1988 he felt a strange pain in his chest and he ended up being paralyzed I believe still continues to paint but like he has to have the brush uh like basically attached to his wrist a friend of mine used to live in in Chuck uh, Close's building and I believe like the floor is cut out because he has a giant machine that raises and lowers the can the canvas so that he can reach it because he he you know would be confined to a a chair as he's working but he does still have that persistence and I almost think like this this is almost like a, an ancient Greek narrative of like the hubris of using all those tools. And now he, he's, you know, extremely limited in his, his own personal mobility. And, and, and something worth noting. Yeah. Uh, he struggled when he was a kid. Yeah. He was, he was labeled many things. He was told the many things he wouldn't be able to do. Yeah, because and he was like dyslexic, I believe. He right? was. He was. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm thinking as you're going along with this, what what life lesson is there to be learned to, to basically say this? When we've told you what box you're going to be in, yeah, and we've told you, you know, and uh, what you're good and not good at, he redefined kind of what he was gifted in. So so here he is uh, with with face blindness, okay, at an early age, dyslexic. He is uh, labeled a few different things, I'm sure told that he'd be nothing more than a shop teacher. Uh, and as I'm reading this, and he's speaking this through a few of his interviews, I'm, I'm struck at thinking, oh my gosh, here's a guy who um, has been told what he can't do well. Uh, what he does do well is he's figured out, if I paint these faces, I'll remember them. And I found that strangely intense and focused. And because of that, I think he just excelled. I mean, he went, uh, you know, to a different uh, place with this hyper-realism. Yeah. I, you know, I also wonder if, um, and, and I looked it up, I'm not going to pretend I, I know this or can even pronounce it while I'm looking at the word. Face blindness is prosopag- prosopagnosia. Prosopagnosia. I guess I'm keeping my streak of mispronouncing something in every episode going. But, um, but I almost wonder if that is in some ways almost an advantage because like I know, I know from my own personal experience, I would get these mental blocks, especially with like figurative stuff where it just, it seems intimidating. And I wonder if in some ways he is able to see the face as 
shapes and values more easily. The way that you or I might like flip a picture upside down when we're trying to do it. So it becomes almost like an abstraction. When you can't recognize it for a moment, it becomes less intimidating and easier to see the lines and shapes. Well, but you, well, I was going to yeah. say one more thought on, on top of this. Um, you know, we, we've, read, we've read books, um, um, and it's academic books, and, and we have book studies here at school. Yeah. And one of the books that struck me is Growth and, and Fixed Mindset. And, yeah. and you think to yourself, this is a pure case of growth mindset. He never took an excuse to quit. He didn't take paralysis as a... a, a a reason to quit. Um, and even when he felt like he was sort of at the top, at the height of his abilities, he did things to make it more challenging for himself, which, you know, like I say, on one hand, I, I, I find frustrating to watch, but on the other hand, like I, I respect someone who's always looking to break new ground and, and push themselves and challenge themselves. And one of the things that struck me, a quote of his, he says, you know, inspiration yeah. is for amateurs. He goes, the rest of us just come to work every day. And, yeah. Which is really a phenomenally cool message because we are always looking for inspiration to motivate us. He says, I just came to work every day. I just come and the work is there and I just continue to get better at it. Let's now move on to um, our in-studio segment where we're going to look carefully at his self-portrait. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Now for our in-gallery segment, we're going to have a discussion looking more carefully at one piece. So we're going to look at his self-portrait from 2000. And right off the bat, what jumps out at you? There's a balance for me uh, between, and again, uh, completely jealous, uh, between each square being uh, completely abstract. And it's kind of what we do um, typically each year. We try to come up with a, uh, a dot mosaic for dot day. It is like the day of the dot. Yeah. yeah and so it's, it's, it's dot day. It's, it's what we try to do in our classroom. And yet I walk, you know, four feet back and it's he's staring straight at me. Uh, with a certain realism. Yeah, I mean, from a distance, it, I mean, it's like a Monet. From a distance, yes. your eye blends it all together. You can you can see the image clearly. Then you get up close and you, you see it's composed of all these these little discrete bits that are nothing like the the initial. Um, it's almost like Kandinsky, where you know the concentric circles I've seen in, in some of his paintings, um, and. 
there's this weird tension between like you can see the grid so precisely like pixels and yet within each grid square the the circles i don't even want to say circles cuz they're they're not perfect circles they're not geom- they're they're rounded organic shapes of concentric uh, rings but like none of them are perfect circles they're all these irregular sorts of blobs and things like that um, just layered within there but from a distance they all make up the values and and um, the range of of colors that you would need to have it recognizable as his face and remember it goes counterintuitive like if we were thinking about this would i want each one of those squares to be independent and the answer generally is no they'd all have to connect you know a a1 has to connect and a2 yeah. and yet he almost dares you to look at a square and he asks you how does that connect to the next square yeah whereas you know in some of his other paintings you can see a direct connection of line uh, or value. This one is challenging. You come up close and you say, wow, it, it's almost as if those two shouldn't connect, and they do. Yeah. It, um, and you see every once in a while he does sort of like break the the grid where he's got some shapes that will go across like two boxes or even across a couple of boxes. But as a general rule, you're right. They are these separate little small compositions that all come together. It's, it's like one of those photo mosaics, you know what I mean? Uh, on the one hand, I'm, I'm impressed by the technical feat and the mastery of it. But a lot of times I just come back to like, well, but what's the point? What is the point of this beyond just him showing what he can do? Like we get it. He's good, you know, but like the, the composition as a whole, it's just his face. It is just a giant face looking at us. We see no other context to it. Um, we see a little bit of his expression. Honestly, he doesn't look that friendly in it. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit wondering, like, what, what more could there be to this? Or is it just about the process and playing with the materials and experimenting and seeing what he can do, you know, seeing how far out he can go and how how many and how strange the non-objective pieces can be that all come together to make something that is representational. I think well, I think about Vincent and, and his self-portraits, and I think to myself it's probably a safe place to be. And, and this is one of those uh, occasions where you're like, I'm going to play it safe. It's me. Yeah. And I'm going to go on my maybe my legacy or my, 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 you know, the fact that I've built my name a certain way and this will sell. I'm going to have some fun experimenting with it because there's a lot of time invested in, in a self-portrait. Maybe it's a jumping off point. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe it ended up uh, being uh, a way to market you know, this to other commissions that he did in the future. What do you think of it? I love it, of course. Uh, I love it because I spent the whole summer doing uh, some pen and ink. Yeah. Uh, and I, um, I was, it appealed me to, to do some of the... Uh, older people with the wrinkles because that was more challenging. And so I stayed uh, 60s on up. And, um, you know, after doing that, I have an appreciation for staying, for, for kind of dabbling between the abstract and real. Yeah. So I look at this and I'm like, he pulled it off um, fearlessly and in a way that spent so many hours making all those squares independent but somehow linked it together. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Hmm. 
I'm impressed with it. I, I can see the process. I always enjoy seeing the process in the work. I can see the grid. I can see the dis- discrete bits that he put together. There's something about it that I just find really sort of off-putting at the same time. I think it's just, it leaves me wanting more. I, I, I like Because I, I just see, like, the whole point of this I, I see is just like, well, look what I can do. Yeah. And, 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 and I already knew he could do a lot. Right. So that would be a uh, thumbs down? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got to say. Yeah. Um, I like to end this segment by just asking, like, where would you put this? Where do you think this belongs? If you could take it, like, out of the museums, where should this go? Uh, this is an easy one for me. I would put it in the uh, teacher's lounge uh, for, uh, uh, or in the cafeteria of the, the, of the uh, you know, of where the students are sitting, whether that be your NPR room or your gym. But uh, you know, somewhere where it's just reminding kids to do the right thing. Because uh, so there's this giant oh. face staring you down, yes. yeah, looming. It's little Mona Lisa effect. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I think the eyes are following me everywhere. Yeah. And it's also just to remind you, hey, you know, uh, be nice to your lunch, ladies. Uh, make sure you is, clean up your table. It's, it does it's seem menacing. menacing. Yes, yes, he it does. does. Yes, yeah. There is like a little <laughs> bit of like darkness to his yeah. glare. So that's where I would put it, you know, personally, in, a, in an academic setting. Okay. I'd put it in a book, shut okay. it, and leave it on a shelf. Oh, my goodness. I'd, like, it's, it's worth seeing. Sure. It's worth seeing when you're trying to learn some techniques and, and explore some. Like, okay. It's a reference material sure. to me. And, um, and I do understand where you're coming from. I think I made reference to this yeah. earlier. Was this a jumping off piece? And now for our in-studio segment. In-studio Think about what strategies are worth Take it. Good Take artists. Take it your own hobby. Great artists. Just go ahead, steal this and make it your own. These are the takeaways. This is what you can apply to your own work. So uh, real easy for me. I, I, we do a sequence of uh, lessons uh, in my first trimester, and uh, a lot of observational art. Yeah. Uh, and it, the, the main structure of it is uh, I use the, um, the grid system. And so when I do the grid system, I expect my students to do a uh, you know, four-, five-, six-hour drawing. Uh, for uh, four hours studio time. Um, and so uh, we differentiate based on where they're at. Uh, yeah. But my goodness, is it a great launching point for uh, confidence? I like what you're saying about the grid because there is something magical about that grid system that if you are patient enough to follow that method, everybody is successful. Yeah, there's a lot of mantras that come from yeah. it, and there's a lot of uh, life lessons and, and, and different things that I use um, to connect, you know, doing a grid and all the little lessons we do yeah. to bigger things they try to achieve, right? I said it takes those little baby steps, and, it, and it is, sometimes it'll take them doing it uh, over again. You know, we'll get a, a third way in, and I said, you know, it's, it's going to pain you a little bit, but we're, we're you missed you missed we're, you missed, yeah, we're too you missed far off. box yes. C yeah, fourteen yeah. over there. Yeah. so you got to go back. Well, you know, and I'm glad you said that. That's the type of dialogue I like to have with students. Yeah. Not the can you help me do this over, but rather yeah. I have a specific problem. I'm having a problem with C fourteen. Yeah, and then I'm like, let's start there. Yeah, and how are you seeing this, and how am I seeing it? I, I tend to find that. Um, so liberating mm-hmm. uh, because it it's so independent and yeah. I can push them back to their seats. I also find students help other students much quicker that way yeah. because they start identifying um, and problem solving much quicker. Yeah. They have the tools. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I guess uh, one of my biggest takeaways, uh, piggybacking off what you're saying, using that grid method, uh, one thing I would always point out to people who want to use a grid and want to get accurate results, it can be very helpful if you take a piece of scrap paper and mask off and cover up everything except for the one portion of the picture that you're looking at because that helps you to see just the lines and shapes in isolation. Because the idea is when you look at a photograph, seeing all of it together becomes overwhelming and it's almost like, you know, it's, you don't know where to start. But when you break it down into smaller, more manageable chunks, you can see it and you can do it. And some students will even like subdivide their little grid spaces and stuff like that. But one of the biggest things I've found helpful is to put a piece of scrap paper over all the parts of the picture I'm not specifically drawing at that moment so I can see it in isolation. My only other really big takeaway from from Chuck Close is just the persistence. He never let anything stop him, whether it was his academic struggles early in his education, he ended up at Yale. He, when he was successful as a painter, as a photorealistic painter, he experimented, tried different tools. He said, I've mastered these. I need to push myself into something else. And when he had health problems that really limited him and nobody would blame him for, for quitting, he said, no, I, I still I am still going to go to work every day. And he, he found a way to make it work, to get beyond those limitations that, that he had. And I think that is something we should all learn from. It's art is a skill. A lot of people think of art as like some mysterious thing, but primarily it's a skill that you learn through patience and persistence over time. And I think that uh, lesson also struck me uh, because I think of when you see someone with a certain skill set and you're, and they're fully capable yeah. and you know, again, Yale and you'd say, Hey, you know, listen, he aced everything. He's yeah. good at everything. You tend to just say, you know, kind of like unachievable, a mountain peak I can't climb. Yeah. Then you take away so many of the things that he, um, had and near the end of his life, he's still persisting and adjusting and and um, modifying some of these tools, like you said, cut out part of his floor. Yeah. Wow. You know, like at the end of the day, I think that's what struck me. He kept going. Yeah. Like it, he didn't stop. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of like Matisse going mm-hmm. blind and still doing the bed. paper cutouts. Yes, yeah, know? yeah. In his bed still, like um, his last work was, you know, yeah, there, days the, there yeah. are those people that just, they won't let anything Correct. St- Like you think, well, what's going to stop a visual artist? He can't use his hands, or he's blind. Right, <laughs> and, and he still, still he finds goes, a way. Yeah. Still, so people can overcome anything. It's right. just like you know, there are a lot of people who who have physical limitations, but they paint holding the brush in their in their mouth. mouth yeah, um, or some people use their feet. But right. you know, if you really want to do it, you can find a way to get around pretty much any limitation that that we might perceive. I just I just want to close by saying thank you. I. I was going to say thank you. I'm trying no, to be no, the no. gracious host. Well, right back at you because, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, it's it to get an opportunity to talk about someone that I just covered in art class, yeah. you know, um, and to get an opportunity to talk about what we were able to pull from his life, to yeah. get some of his examples and how we apply it in our classroom and what we, our perspective on it, it's, it's such a cool opportunity. So I really, I do appreciate the fact that we will be in the earbuds of many. 
Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that you took the time to do this. So thank you very much. You bet. We'll see you later. Bye. Podcast done. All right. Cool. That was awesome. And I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do?